Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. Pray before we uh, get started. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for those that are here tonight to hear your word. It is the living truth. And you said, this is what we would live by. It wouldn't be by bread alone, but it'd be by these words. And so I ask you, Father, first of all, to help me uh, speak your words and not mine. Help me communicate your truth so that when we leave here tonight, we can say we're better because we heard your truth. We understand more how much you want to help us in the area specifically of physical healing. And so I'll just give you praise and thanks for that in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice again that phrase says, with his stripes we're healed. And I was thinking about today, you know, why we're teaching this. And um, I just want to make sure, you know, to to just uh, emphasize the reason we're teaching this is not just so you have a good argument uh, for healing, right? Not just so you have, you know, a way to maybe, you know, talk to somebody who doesn't believe in healing, although that's part of of it. But really the reason we're doing this is because what we're talking about is truth. And, 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 it's, and it's so that when the devil comes calling, when sickness comes calling, when the bad report comes, you're equipped with truth to be able to stand against that, right? Because when we have truth, that's a basis for faith. And when we have faith, we can fight the good fight of faith and we can overcome. And so we've been talking about a lot of uh, different points for tonight. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go through all 12 previous lessons and review those. Uh, But once again, I would encourage you, you know, after we complete this series, you'll have a really good series that you could reference at any point if you never need to beef up on your healing or if you ever since, you know, you you just seem like sickness is starting to, you know, creep back in regularly in your life. Go back and listen to these. So they'll be good for you. But as I said, I want to talk about, you know, catching the little foxes that tend to want to rob our faith sometimes of the, the, just the 100% confidence that it's the will of God for us to be healed. So Song of Solomon 2 verse 15 says, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. And so, you know, we pointed out at different times over the years as we've read that verse that what that verse is conveying to us is that, you know, the really tender, important things in our life sometimes get robbed from us. Not because of the big things that happen, but because of the little things that undermine what we can believe. And so, you know, when, when a lot of times when cancer, or just to cancer for example, you know, if, if you happen unfortunately to get diagnosed with cancer, um, well, that's a big thing, right? And we can look at that as, you know, the, the real enemy. But many times it's the little things that we've embraced leading up to that point that rob us of the faith to just tell cancer to, you know, hit the road, Jack, right? So, and so it's the little things that will rob us. And so, uh, and so what I want to do tonight is I'm going to try to get through this and, and, and not take a lot of your time, but I, I want to do it justice. Um, I want to talk about the different thoughts and, and, and arguments you hear sometimes out there, even mainly from religious people, uh, as to why it's not the will of God always to heal. And, you know, and I, you know, I often think it's interesting, you know, that, um, you know, folks would try, try to prove that God's not as good as he says he is or, as, as, you know, and, and try to validate, you know, reasons why, you know, God wouldn't want us to have certain things when the scripture is clear on that. And so I'm going to talk about a couple of these portions of scripture, very real portions of scripture that people call out that if you don't understand them correctly, they can really undermine your faith and they can hinder you. They can leave a question mark, you know, um, 
And, and one of the things about a question mark when it comes to the things of God is, is if, you know, faith is, a, is an emphatic belief. And if you've got a real question down on the inside of you, it's like, I, you know, that, that don't make sense to me. That can undermine your faith, right? And so I want to address some of those. And I would also tell you, as I've said in previous messages, that if you've got questions that come up, let me know what they are. Write them down for me because I want to address them before we close out the topic. But the first one is this. Um, is this question, you know, because a lot of people will make this argument. You know, if sickness, people will ask this question, if sickness is never God's will, then why did Paul have a thorn in the flesh? If sickness is never God's will, why did Paul have a thorn in the flesh? And, and many people that make that argument will say that Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and that thorn in the flesh was sickness that he had to deal with and that, you know, God told him to, you know, just keep it, right? That's sort of their mindset. And so I want to deal with that. So the first thing we want to do is look, just look at the portion of Scripture first. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul said this. He said, and, I, lest I, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Well, that's pretty flowery sounding. And what he's saying there, and we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit, but he was saying, you know, unless my ministry got, should get exalted and, and have success and, and momentum, uh, based on the abundance of the revelations. What were the abundance of the revelations? Paul had the revelation of the mystery of the gospel, right? The entire church age and the Gentile world coming to know Christ and uh, salvation through faith. So he said, unless I get exalted, you know, uh, based on that revelation, he said, a thorn of the f- in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted Above measure, and so notice Paul said that he had been given a thorn in the flesh. But the real question is: is what was that thorn in the flesh? And a lot of people will say it was sickness. A lot of people will use different vague references in Scripture. But you know, for me, uh, when you're interpreting Scripture, Scripture always interprets Scripture. Um, and so, you know, if we have instances in the Bible where the phrase thorn in the flesh is clearly stated what it is, and we have more than one instance of that, right? If we have two or three examples, the Bible says by two or three witnesses, let every word be established. If we have two or three witnesses in Scripture that say this is what a thorn in the flesh is, then we can know that's what Paul is talking about, right? And so let's just take a look at some instances in Scripture to see, first of all, if a thorn in the flesh actually is sickness. Uh, Numbers chapter 33 and verse 55 it says, um, uh, and the, the Lord speaking to the children of Israel says, <coughs> but if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land, everybody say inhabitants of the land. Thank you. It's only a few of us, but thank you. It says, but if, if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your side. And shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. So notice here in this particular instance, sickness was not a thorn in the flesh. Sickness, uh, a thorn in the flesh or a thorn in the side were people that persecuted the people of God. We see it again in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 24. It says, And there shall be no more pricking briar unto the house of Israel, nor any grieving thorn of all that are around about them that despise them, and they shall know that I am the Lord your God. And notice again, he describes a people group as, as, that, that are, uh, come against the people of God as a thorn in the flesh or a thorn in the side. And then once again, just for reference sake, if you're taking notes, in Joshua chapter 23 and verse 13, in Jude 2 and 3, and in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 6, 
all describe people as a thorn in the side. And so let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 17, and let's read what Paul said in light of that understanding that people are, are termed as thorns in the side when, it, when it's a people group persecuting others. It, Paul said, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh. Well, what was a thorn in the flesh? A group of people was given. Everybody say given. That word given is the word assigned, was assigned to me. And then it goes on to say a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And so notice there was assigned to Paul a group of people that would be a thorn in his side, that would be persecutors of who he was. And, and notice that that, per, that group of people was assigned to them. Well, first of all, you, you need to understand God is not in the business of assigning people to stop the the, or to hinder the preaching and teaching of the gospel, right? That's not God's business. As a matter of fact, we see uh, the messenger was assigned to him by Satan himself. He was a messenger of Satan. He wasn't a messenger of God. And he goes on to say, lest I be exalted above measure. And that word exalt, that phrase exalted above measure actually means to be raised up and recognized. And so there was a messenger of Satan assigned to Paul to persecute him because Satan didn't want the gospel message being elevated and recognized by people, uh, and, and, and he wanted his ministry hindered. And so in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, we see this. Paul said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Notice there was someone bewitching them. There was a group of people bewitching them. Matter of fact, if you go on and read verses uh, 2 and 3 of, that follow this, you'll see that what they were doing is, is they were going behind Paul, and they were teaching. Notice what he says there. He says, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? They were going behind Paul to undermine the truth that he was teaching. Uh, Paul would come in and teach that you could be saved by faith, not of works, not by the Old Testament ritualistic laws. You could be saved by simple faith in Jesus Christ. And what these people were doing is they were coming behind him saying, no, you have to keep the law, you have to be circumcised, you have to do all those things to be saved. And so the people group that were coming behind Paul, these thorns in the flesh, were not. it wasn't sickness. It was messengers to hinder the gospel message, lest it be exalted which would have been a good thing. See, a lot of people read that to mean that God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. But that's not what this is talking about. God, God's not going to give you bad things to keep you humble. He gives you his word to teach you to be humble. And if you're too hard-headed not to be humble, then you'll reap the results of your hard-headedness, right? But, but the reality is, is, that, is that God, he doesn't teach us by sending us bad things. And so there were groups of people that were going behind Paul and persecuting him. Some persecuting him so much so that they would even physically attack him. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24. Paul said, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. So Jesus was whipped at the whipping post. Happened to Paul four times. <laughs> Think about that. And he was willing to go through that persecution to spread the gospel and share the gospel. He goes on to say, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day also in open sea. So Paul faced a lot of persecution in preaching the gospel. So the thorn in Paul's flesh was not sickness and disease, it was persecution from a people group that clearly the scripture shows us thorns in the side are people groups that persecute the people of God. We see it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. Notice, I want to read this in greater context. 
Paul said, unless I should be exalted above measure <coughs> through the abundance of the revelations, and so unless my ministry gains preeminence, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a group of people, messengers of Satan, to buffet me so that I couldn't be exalted, so the ministry could not grow and help and touch and reach people. It goes on to say, verse 8, notice what Paul says. For this thing I sought the Lord thrice that he might depart from me. So he went to God three times and he said, Lord, please... Let these people stop persecuting me. Please stop them from persecuting me. It goes on to say in verse 9, and, and the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? And a lot of people would think that means what Paul, what the Lord's response to Paul was, no, just deal with it. You ought to be happy that you're just saved. Because that's the way a lot of people teach that. My grace is sufficient for you. But then God, the Lord goes on to explain what he was saying to Paul. He wasn't saying keep the people and deal with it and, you know, uh, all of that. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, what did he say? I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What was he saying? The Lord was saying to Paul this, stop asking me to do something that my grace has already given you. He said, my grace is sufficient, right? Well, if it's sufficient then it's sufficient to deal with the situation. And, and what did God's grace provide for us? Think about it for a minute. When we got born again, we were made new creations. We were made overcomers. We were made conquerors, right? Even Jesus told us this in Scripture. He said, in the world, you'll suffer persecution, right? So Paul's saying, don't, don't, I don't want persecution. Well, the only way you're not going to have persecution for people groups is everybody dies, right? But, the God, but God is long-suffering, not willing that any to perish. So, so he's not going to go kill everybody just to eliminate persecution or people being mean to you. That's just people, human nature. But what he says is, stop asking for that, but recognize my grace is sufficient. I made you a child of God. I gave you my strength and placed my spirit within you. And if you'll lean on that sufficient grace that lies within you, you'll be able to get through this with no problem whatsoever. You'll be able to overcome it. And we see that in John chapter 6 and verse 33. What did Jesus say about persecution for the gospel's sake? He said, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world, notice what he said, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have people persecute you. You're going to have people come against you. You'll have problems. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, right? And I used to read that and think, okay, I'm going to have problems, but be glad because you won. You know, it's almost like, you know, you ought to be happy because you finished second and I finished first. That's why a lot of people read that. But what that's saying is, he's saying to you, I've overcome and I'm giving you that victory, right? And so what we need to understand is anytime God tells you to lean on grace, He's not telling you, well, just deal with it. You ought to be happy you're saved and just go ahead and deal with your infirmities. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, stop asking me for something I've already given you. I've given you grace. So use that grace to go be who it is I've called you to be. And that's what he was saying to Paul. And we see this clearly. Whenever grace is called upon, it's always to move the problem, right? Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 7 says this. It says, who are you, O great mountain? Ever faced a mountain before? Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall be made a plain. So God says this. He says, you have a great mountain in front of you, but it's going to become a plain. How's it going to become a plain? And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of what? Grace. Grace to it. See, what was he saying to Paul? Same thing. He was saying, stop asking me to remove your mountain, and you start declaring grace to it. You start declaring, in this world, I'm going to have tribulation, but I'm going to overcome these. 
And the reality that we find, we're going to find out in just a moment is all the persecutions that came against Paul to stop for the gospel's sake, Paul says, the Lord delivered me out of them all. We'll go see that in a minute, right? But the point I want to make about <coughs> this particular point is simply this. Paul's thorn in the flesh had nothing to do with sickness. So if somebody tells you it's not the will of God to be, for you to be healed because Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Well, he did have a thorn in the flesh, but it was people persecuting him. It had nothing to do with physical infirmity, right? And so we see that clearly. And so that is not a valid excuse or a valid reason for anyone to believe that the will of God is, is not 100% of the time for you to be healed. Number two, if Paul, uh, if, if sickness is never the will of God, here's another Paul thing people will bring up. Why did Paul have an infirmity of the flesh, different than a thorn in the flesh, different terminology? We'll see it in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 13. Notice verse 13. Paul said, you know how through infirmity of the flesh, Paul said, through an infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. Everybody say at the first. That's going to be important for us to recognize here in just a moment. Verse 14, and my temptation which was in my flesh, so he's saying this was something my physical body had to deal with, right? So we can't reason that away, we can't argue that away, that's what the scripture says. In my flesh I dealt with this infirmity, this weakness. He says, nor rejected, but received me, he says, and my temptation which was in the flesh, you despise not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus, where is then this blessedness you spake of? For I bear record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked your own eyes out and given them to me. Everybody say, pluck your eyes out. See, a lot of people will say, see, Paul had an infirmity of the flesh, and what he had was this crazy eye disease where his eyes oozed and he had this problem because he said, you know, his eyes were bugging him, and they said, oh, we're so sorry, Paul, so we'll give you our eyes. And, and so we want to look at that, right? Is that a valid, is that truth based on what we see in Scripture? And what we're going to see is that's not true. What Paul was, he was not talking about an eye disease that he had to deal with his whole life. He's talking about an infirmity of the flesh that happened to him when he preached to them at the very first time, at the first, the first time he preached to them. Well, when was the first time that Paul preached to them? Acts chapter 14 and verse 19. Let's take a look at it and see. It says in verse 19, and there came thither... Um, I always think of Tigger the tiger and Winnie the Pooh when I read the word thither. But anyway, and there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who pers persuaded the people, notice this, and having stoned Paul. <laughs> you know what it meant to stone people, right? These people that did this were professionals. They didn't just throw rocks at him. It wasn't like a kid throwing a rock at you that gets mad. They lined him up and stoned him. It says, they stoned Paul and drew him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So I think about the first, when he first came to Antioch and Iconium, which was Galatia, right? When he first came to them, he was stoned to the point that he was left for dead. How many believe he physically felt some injuries, right? Verse 20, Howbeit, here's the great news, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And so we see here, Paul was taken out of the city when he first came to Galatia, stoned physically, left for dead. How many of you realize you leave somebody for dead? There had to be something you saw that caused you to think he would be dead. Bleeding, bruised, beat up, right? A far cry from just falling at the Illuminates, right? Much more. But it was physical evidence, right? And, and it says he was left for dead. But, the, but it says the disciples stood around him and he rose up. A lot, of, a lot of scholars will tell you that Paul actually did die in that moment. And he was raised from the dead when the disciples got around. And the reason they'll say that is because 
Remember over the Corinthians, Paul said, you know, um, I knew a man in Christ once, whether in the body or out, I know not. He had an out-of-body experience at one point in his life, and a lot of people believe that that was this moment when he died, and then the disciples prayed and he came back. But anyway, that's, that's, you know, I don't think you can build a doctrine around that, but what we see here is Paul was stoned, left for dead, then he was raised up. How many believe that came with some injuries, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10 says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my faith, my long-suffering, charity, and patience, persecutions, which came to me at Antioch at Iconium. There he is. He's saying those persecutions. What? When I got stoned, with, which, which persecutions I endured. But notice this. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. So Paul did come to the Galatians with an infirmity of the flesh first, but that infirmity were bruises and the beatings he took, right? But the Lord, even through that, he says, even through that, the Lord delivered me from it, right? So what that tells me is this. Not only does God heal from sickness and disease, he'll heal you from injuries. He'll help you overcome even those things. And so therefore, Paul's infirmity of the flesh was not this crazy eye disease that people will sort of fabricate and make up. Matter of fact, you know, when they said, I would pluck your eyes out, how many of you have ever said to anybody, I'd give you my right arm, right? If you tell somebody you give them a right arm, is that, does that mean they got palsy in the right arm? Well, it could mean that, right? But most of the time it's not. It's a phrase. And when they, he said you'd pluck your eyes out for me, that was a phrase of the day that was saying, I, you know, I'd do anything for you, Paul, because you came to us and you preached, even though you were beat up and had been stoned. You got raised up and you came right back into the very city that rejected you, and you preached to us anyway. And he says, out of all that, the Lord delivered me. So Paul's infirmity of the flesh was not some disease that he carried that God would not heal him from. It was an actual injury that he occurred from the persecution of those folks that followed after him and persecuted him, but the Lord even delivered him from that. Number three, here's another one. If sickness is never the will of God, then why are many New Testament followers listed as sick? Right? In the Bible, we see people listed as sick. Let's take a look at some of them. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25 and 27 says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion and laborer, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you as was, and was full of heaviness because that he heard that you, that, that he, the, for, because that ye heard that he had been sick. So Epaphroditus, follower of the Lord, was sick, right? Goes on to say, For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But notice here's the good news. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. See, Epaphroditus, not was he just sick, but God had mercy on him, and he was healed. So just because Epaphroditus was sick doesn't mean it's the will of God for people to be sick. It actually further validates for us that God's willing to heal people that get sick. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. Here's another one that was sick. It says, Erastus abode in Corinth, but tro tro Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. So in this scenario, Trophimus was sick and Paul left him and he didn't get healed, right? That's what it says. So if he didn't get healed, then, then how can we say it's the will of God for us to be healed? Well, let me ask you this question. Just because Matt decides not to walk in love to me and calls me a rotten, no good, you know what, does that mean it's not the will of God for him to walk in love? It's absolutely the will of God for him to walk alone. But what happens? Imperfect people all, don't always measure up to God's best and God's promise. 
And just because you have somebody listed in the Bible that didn't get sick, that's no more validation that that healing isn't for isn't for today than someone today that didn't get sick, even though God said it's His promise for you to be healed, right? So just because Scripture talks about sick people, I mean, think about it for a minute. If 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 just because the Scripture talked about it made it gospel, so Miletus didn't get healed, so it must be the will of God for. I mean, Trophimus didn't get healed. So it must be the will of God for people, sometimes for people not to get healed. Well, the Bible says that Judas went out and hanged himself. Does that mean it's the will of God for everybody to go out and hang themselves? No. Imperfect people experience imperfect things. And so we need to understand that God clearly states his promises, and they are the truth. And any time an imperfect person doesn't live up to it, it's not validation that the promise isn't true. It's just validation that we're imperfect people and sometimes we don't measure up to God's best, but God's best is clearly stated in his word as we've seen through all the promises we've looked at over the last 12 weeks. Amen? Last of all, um, if sickness is never the will of God, then why did Jesus declare sickness the works and glory of God, supposedly? Because some people will pull out a scripture that says that. So let's take a look at that one and then we'll close with this one tonight. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Says, and Jesus, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And so notice, this guy was born blind, right? His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so notice, instantly people want to know whose fault it was, right? And, and it's interesting, Jesus doesn't really directly answer the question of whose fault it was, but we're going to find out. He does, really, uh, in just a moment, but he doesn't directly answer it. What he says here is this. He says, neither this man nor his parents. He said, neither one of them sinned to cause this, so, said Jesus. But this happened, notice this, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said this, he spit on the ground made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, the word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Now, a lot of people will say, see, this man was born blind, and God intended it to be, he made him blind so that God could do the works of God in him. That's what that verse says. But if you notice what it says there, it says that uh, in verse, um, let me find it. Jesus said in verse 3, neither this man nor his parents were blind, but that this happened that the works of God might be displayed in him. So that word might is the word that means that it could happen, couldn't happen. So what that's telling me is the works of God that Jesus was talking about hadn't happened yet, right? Because he said they might be displayed in him. And so what we find to be true is the works of God was not the blindness that this man was born with, the works of God was the healing he was about to receive. Jesus goes on to emphasize that he was about to do the works of God. Then he gave instruction to the man to go wash so that the works of God could be done. So what was the work of God in this situation? Was it the blindness or was it the healing? It was the healing. Now there will be some that would say, well, yeah, but God made him sick so that he could heal him. Well, first of all, I would just ask you, in the light of a good God, would a good person do that to somebody? What a, what a good person, just by sheer definition of the word good, would a good person give somebody cancer so they could heal them and show them what a great doctor they are? That, that would be, you'd, you'd put them in jail for that, right? So that's a crazy argument to say, well, God made him sick so he could prove that Jesus was doing the works of God, right? 
No, Jesus said, I'm going to go do the works of God. And what we're going to find in him saying that is he's defining where the sickness came from. And we're going to see it real clearly. Notice Jesus said, I'm going to go, he, I'm going to do the works of God in him, right? And then he sent him to get healed. First John chapter 3 and verse 8, what were the works of God? For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. So he's about to tell us what his works are, that he might destroy what? The works of the devil. So this man was born blind, Jesus healed him, and destroyed the blindness. And who was the sickness from? And according to this verse, where do those works come from? They're called the works of the devil, right? So Jesus destroyed blindness, and Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. So blindness, even being born with blindness, is not a work of God. It's not a plan of God. He didn't intend for somebody to be born that way so that they could bear some glory for his name. That is absolutely 100% a work of the devil, right? Doesn't mean they're a bad person. Doesn't mean the parents are bad people. It means we live on a volatile planet and there is an evil thief that goes around about seeking whom he, whom he can steal, kill, and destroy from. And in this scenario, this, this young man was born, this baby was born blind and he lived his whole life with it. But what God says was, it's not a matter of who did it. I'm going to go do the works of God. And he healed him. And we see clearly that the works of God were destroying the devil's work. So who made him blind? Devil did. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, we see it again, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So this blind, this blind man was oppressed by the devil. So anybody that would tell you in John chapter 1 that that blindness was a work of God so that God could heal him doesn't know scripture because we see twice that Jesus destroyed the works of the devil and people that are sick were, 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 were a part of the works of the devil, and so that, sick, that sickness was not a part of the works of God. The works of God in John chapter, what was it, 7 there we said? Yeah, in John chapter 9, I'm sorry. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, the works of God were the healing that took place. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, what Jesus was showing us was this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may, he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Jesus was showing us through his own example that the devil may attack, and it may be long-staying. This guy had sickness, his whole, blindness his whole life. But if you'll believe by faith and dig your heels in, you can overcome him. Amen? Amen. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 5, we'll close with this. It says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus paid for us to be healed, period. No question mark at the end of it. There's no argument, and I've, I've never found an argument. I've had people bring to me an argument that caused me to go, hmm, let me think about that one for a minute. But I've, if, I, if I've always, as I talked about on Sunday morning, if you always look for the thread of love in the midst of any argument somebody would try to give you to diminish God's goodness and his healing power or anything good like that that he'd do for you, you'll always find an answer. God will always find it for you. And so we know it's the will of God for us to be healed because God clearly tells us in his word Jesus paid for and took stripes upon his back for us to be healed. Now next week what I'm going to do is it'll be the last Wednesday night of the year, but I'm going to talk about this particular question because a lot of people will ask this question. If sickness is not the will of God, then why does God allow sickness? It's a pretty big question, right? So I'm going to let you chew on that for a week. And we'll come back and I'm going to show you very clearly why sickness is in the earth today uh, and, and, and what the answer to that question is, okay? 
All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I've, I've done my best to share what it is you laid on my heart tonight. I pray that we've just further solidified in people's hearts that there's no argument in Scripture that would show us that it's your will for anyone to ever be sick. You are a good, loving God. And it is 100% your will every time someone deals with sickness to heal them. It is 100% your desire for us to walk in divine health. And although we may fall short of that sometimes, it will never diminish the truth of your promise to us that you desire for us to be healed and Jesus made a way for us to walk in that healing. So we give you praise and thanks for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for coming out. Merry Christmas to you. I hope you got some good plans, and uh, we'll see you Sunday morning for our candlelight service. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.